Return to Dallas by Robert P. Fitton. Return to Dallas, Chapter 4. U.S. Route 395, Mesa, Oregon, July 20th, 1963, 10.30 a.m. A never-ending spread of evergreen trees covered the hills and mountains. She kept the top up as they headed south toward Oregon. Occasionally a log-hauling truck, or more often a car, whizzed by. The land remained isolated and somewhat lonely. I do think you remember everything. Oh, you do, do you? Well, do you? I don't. She held onto the wheel and shook her head. I don't think I'm going to understand this until I talk to this Roselli. She nodded as she brought the car around the bend. Maybe it was the remoteness of the land that left him fearful about Moon. Moon knew about Roselli on the 25th. He constantly checked the side mirror for the Volkswagen bus. While you were in the shower, I called Bill Slauson down at the police station. Bill told me the cops chased Moon off the road like the report said, but they lost him in the mountains toward Coeur d'Alene. That's rough territory. At least we're heading south and he's lost in the hills. Sorry you got into whatever this is. Oh, I was having a dull summer. I need some excitement. Her hair moved with the breeze and around her red bandana. I'll go back and find Moon so he can fire a few more shots at us. She tried not to laugh. Her cheeks moved as she grinded her teeth, but then she broke into a laugh. She kept smiling as she alternated glances at him down the highway. I'm not laughing. Yes, you are. That wasn't funny, she said, emitting another burst. Who the hell are you, Patch? Who do you think I am? Sherry squinted and looked down the winding highway. It's that photo on the paper that has me stymied. My gut feeling is that your government, that Moon knows why somebody died, and that's obviously why he's so colossally annoyed with you. So what does that add up to? Sweetness, I have no idea. He watched her as she took the mountain turns. Then he looked in the side mirror again. Where did you learn to drive like that? You know just when to bank. Actually, I'm an expert driver. I've reached 140 on the track. He nodded his head so quick it looked as if he had a tick. Then he checked the speedometer. As he sat back in a comfortable position in the seat, a prodigious snow-capped mountain towered over the distant ridges. What's that? Mount Hood. Mount Huge? Hood. You really went up to 140? Once, Ricky liked to race cars. Then she hit her forehead with the butt of her hand. Okay, his name was Ricky. She immediately twisted on the radio and said nothing right through the newscast. Put on your smoke glasses today and get ready for darkness. Today's total eclipse of the sun should be quite stunning in the northwest area. We'll be getting live reports from the area during the eclipse. Think about what happened to you, Patch. Were you in the mountains? Things can change with the blink of an eye, even up here in summer. I know, I've hiked hood. Don't remember anything about the mountains. What did Moon mean when he mentioned snapping back? Don't know about that either. You sure you didn't bomb San Francisco yesterday and just running up here to escape? Patch raised his index finger. Did I shake something loose? I think I have flown jets. Now we're getting somewhere. Your name is Patch and you fly jets. And this Dr. Moon was chasing you with the intent to kill. He looked in the side mirror again. He would have killed me last night. I know that. And he'll try again. 
First of all, he has no idea we left Spokane. So why would he chase us now? Because he knows you're headed to Dodger Stadium. He even has the date. Patch removed the photo of Dodger Stadium. You're right. I know that. You need to call that guy Slauson. If they have Moon in custody, then I have nothing to worry about. The Impala hummed along the Columbia River as the mighty waterway expanded to the Pacific Ocean. With a loud pop and subsequent thumping, the front end swung to the right. She rolled to a stop and Patch opened the door. Is it a flat? Looks like you ran over something. She leaned out the window and rested her head in her hands. Why, thank you, Patchy, for that technical report. Give me your keys, I'll change it. Patch stood up with his hands on his hips. She threw the keys to him. Patch remained nervous about Moon as he removed the jack from the spare tire in the trunk. He loosened the lug nuts with the wrench and then jacked up the car. Put on your emergency, it's on. She got out of the car as he finished spinning off the lug nuts. Hey, nice work for a man who remembers nothing. You know, he said, slipping off the tire. She helped him pull it off the rim. You're going to get your hands dirty. Patch, yes, he said as he lifted the other tire on. Would you mind if we get the tire plugged in the garage? I was going to suggest that. You need a good tire driving back to Spokane. And, he said, spinning the lug nuts, I will compensate you for the gas. A gradual smile edged up her cheek. Sure you will. The crusty old mechanic at the service station had a sour face and a rotten disposition. With an unsympathetic tone, he grumbled about not being able to plug the tire for a few hours. Rather than search around, they agreed to wait. She pointed at a brown-tinted spiral tower atop the Jason Hill. My parents brought me down here when I was a kid. It's called the Astoria Column. I ran to the top back then. Well, you're welcome to try again. She smiled and then broke into a run. Patch remained right behind her, up all 164 steps to the observation area. She breathed so quickly she had to steady herself on the stairway opening. Patch gave a few quick breaths and then walked onto the observation deck. The widening blue river created a majestic course between the trees and hills to the sea. Hey, she said, catching her breath, how come you're not winded? Should I be? <laughs> running up this column is no easy feat. She moved around him, all the while looking at his face. You are in the service of the government. What are you going to do once we get the car? Hitchhike and beg for food? The transforming thin clouds passed high above the tower. They both leaned on the retaining wall at the same time. If I'm a pilot, maybe I've been brainwashed for a reason. I keep thinking of how you reacted when I mentioned the president. Your government, I know you are. No, it's something more than that when I think about Kennedy. What has the president done that would make me feel this anxiety? Well, how about the fact the world was almost blown up last fall over the missiles in Cuba? Cuba? I get the same uncertainty both Cuba and Rosselli. She pressed her lips and looked back toward the river. Is it getting dark or is it me? Radio mentioned it in an eclipse. That's right. You know, as far as Kennedy goes, I never thought much about him being a great leader until after the missile crisis. Just last month, he gave this inspiring speech in West Berlin. He just didn't offer the people of West Berlin hope against the Russians. He spoke to the whole world. Ich bin ein Berliner. What does that mean? 
I thought it meant I am a Berliner, but somebody wrote in the paper it had another meaning. I am a jelly donut. But they all went wild in West Berlin anyway. Patch laughed and his face tightened. I think Kennedy has the potential to be a great leader, but I sense something isn't right. You want my opinion? He smiled. Do I have a choice? No, she said, pushing her finger into his ribs. You and Moon are involved in some kind of intelligence operation. Maybe you're afraid Kennedy will catch you. Somebody made me forget relevant portions of my life. When I try to remember, it only gets worse. She looked upward as a few lights had popped on along the river. It's getting darker. No, no, don't look up. Why? The UVs will damage your sight. Okay, Mr. Know-it-all, what's a UV? The land and the river had darkened, almost like early evening now. Ultraviolet rays burned the retina and caused cataracts. It makes sense. The ancient Greeks believed that the gods were upset when there was an eclipse. They thought of it as a bad portent. What do you think? I think it's dark, he said, and they both laughed. Patch watched the land transform as the moon transited the sun. He concentrated on his own predicament. Someone, by use of a printed photo on paper and a printed handwritten note, drew him to a Dodger Stadium like a massive magnetic field attracting a piece of metal. The result never varied. Patch, you may not be safe at that game, or I'll meet an important contact. Again, whoever wrote that note was not aware that you had lost your memory. He nodded his head. You just love mysteries, don't you? I'm intrigued by mysteries. She stretched and checked her watch. And Moon is the rogue element. Not only does he not want you in L.A., he wants me dead. Until we snap back. So you're both from and maybe going to some place with fog and wind. And then... I think you were dumped on those rocks by someone in a long car. Here's the important part of the note. You know the rest, Patch. No offense, but you don't know anything. Maybe I will if I meet Rosselli. Possible. Anyway, let's get back to the garage and see if Grumpy is ready to demonstrate his expertise in sticking a plug into a tire. Patch grinned. Sherry, you have a gift for descriptive language. Why, thank you, Patchy. Let's descend the tower slowly. The tire, freshly plugged, leaned against the garage door frame. The old man wiped his hands with a gray rag and rang up the register. Thanks, said Patch. He lit a cigarette. Don't mention it. Patch rolled the tire out to the open trunk. Sherry exited the car as he hoisted it back in place in the trunk well. Patch, I'm going to make a phone call back to Bill at the station in Spokane. Find out about Moon. That's nice of you, thanks. I'll be right back. Patch glanced at her green caprice as she scurried over to the phone near the road. He smiled and then secured the jack and wingnut in place. Again he looked up. She had a little nose and her dark hair fluttered in the wind. In ten minutes, he would be hitchhiking south to Northern California. He would miss her laugh and the way she worded things. She used her hands as she spoke on the phone. He grinned again and shut the trunk. The traffic passed sporadically on the state highway. Maybe she would have good news from up north and Moon would be behind bars. She put down the phone and held her temples. Patch removed the change from a $10 bill and had it ready for her when she approached. What did you hear? I didn't talk to Bill. The van was abandoned at the state highway, but there's a ranger vehicle missing. He could be coming after you. 
parked truck will stand out. He'll ditch the truck. I'm banking they'll get him. Patch, you have no money. Keep that change. She turned slightly and was about to speak. Yes, as a matter of fact, I do want your opinion. Good, you read my mind. That mental case, Moon, is heading south right now in another car or truck after you. And if he doesn't plug you along the way, he'll kill you at the game. My mission right now is to get to Roselli. Mission? Listen to you. So be it. You haven't got a chance. You're going to step out there with no money and Moon Man coming after you. And you're just going to show up at that game and voila, the world becomes right again. You don't even know what's waiting for you there. So what's the problem? It really doesn't phase you, does it, Patch? You just assume you'll get there and everything will be fine. You have to be government. She turned and looked toward the river. What do you suggest? She kept her back toward him. Then she said something inaudible. What was that? I said I can get you to L.A. in less than 24 hours. Impossible. At 140? If I have to. I'll get you to L.A. and you can settle up with me later in Spokane. Let me think about it. Patch, I'm giving you a ride to L.A. Patch walked up to her. He looked into her dark eyes. I meant, I need to think about this. If Moon is heading south, he'll be on the main roads. Oh, I didn't think of that. Well, we could hug the coast. It would take longer. But you need to get to that game before Moon gets there. I'll pay you back, Sherry. She looked up slowly and was as serious as he had seen her. You do know you're in danger, Patch. I need to find out what this is all about. Return to Dallas, Chapter 5 Ventura Freeway, Los Angeles, California Wednesday, July 24, 1963 3.53 p.m. She had driven all night from the garage on the Oregon border into California. Patch drove most of the way to San Francisco. On a long-distance call at a hotel south of the city, she learned Moon had left the Spokane area. There were reports of him driving a 1961 Ford Falcon in Northern California. As they had at the San Francisco Hotel, they took separate rooms in Soledad, but they sat at a bar engaged in superficial talk past midnight. He remembered nothing about his life, and she kept Ricky hidden away in her deepest thoughts. When Patch dreamed that night, the dream was subtle, no nightmare. He was working at a table in front of a red brick building and other city buildings. Ahead was a road and a park with green grass surrounded by concrete barriers. He believed that people were spying on him as tourists wandered around the park and up a set of concrete stairs to a stockade fence on a small hill. He woke up and then they were off to L.A., but he thought about the dream before telling Sherry. The wind spewed through the open window, tempering the California heat. All the way from Camarillo, Patch had steered the Impala in and out of the steady Ventura freeway traffic. The top was still up. Okay, do you want to hear about my dream last night? You mean the long car on the prairie? She asked from the passenger seat. No, this wasn't a bad dream. I was working at a table in a park. Tourists were all around. And behind me was a box-like red brick building and other buildings in a city. Where? Had you been there before? Yeah, I feel as if I worked there. Any road signs or city signs? She asked, leaning toward him. No. She put her hand on his wrist. Patchy, 
I do think you'll get to the bottom of this. A thin pewter smog layer separated the valley from Los Angeles below and the prodigious mountain range to the north. I got Encino, I got Sherman Oaks, she said as she continued down the freeway. I got Van Nuys, she raised her hands in the air. And the Santa Monica Mountains, whoopee! You've really never been to LA? No, Patchy? Never been to the land of make-believe. She checked the map. We're near Revue Studios, a.k.a. Universal. The Los Angeles Times spread over Sherry's folded legs in the passenger seat, flipped at the edges. She snapped her gum. Juicy fruit masked the ozone remnants in the air. You're not going to believe this. Try me. She paused, chewing. The Dodgers' right fielder is named Wally Moon. Come on. I'm telling you, Patch, it's right here in the paper. He got two hits yesterday in the game. It's that eclipse. Everything is wacky. She flipped over the folded paper and looked up. The Chinese used to execute their astrologers if they didn't properly predict an eclipse. I'll just add that to the list. Drysdale pitches tomorrow. I know this Roselli character is here on Thursday without Alexander Moon. She kept reading the article as she resumed chewing. What does it say? Oh, Koufax is pitching. He's already won 16 games. Patch maneuvered the Impala into the inside lane. The high mountain barrier seemed to hold the smog to the Pacific. Koufax, I know he's a good player, but you can't remember. Exactly. You want my opinion? No. My opinion is we should go to the game today on the off chance Roselli baby is there. She snapped the gum again. If we don't see him, then keep one step ahead of Moon. Exactly. Patch checked the clock at the top of the hour and turned on the radio. He twisted the dial, producing a modulating signal. Then he found a station. A few commercials preceded the news. You're listening to the new ABC, KABC, Los Angeles. News at 4 o'clock. At the White House, President Kennedy welcomed a group of American high school students, part of the Boys Nation. Each year, a gathering of aspiring citizens meet with the President in an event sponsored by the American Legion. In sports, Monday's heavyweight title defense. Champ Sonny Liston took four seconds longer to knock challenger Floyd Patterson to the canvas in a Las Vegas, Nevada bout. Patterson fell in two minutes and six seconds last September and two minutes and ten seconds Monday night. Can anyone beat Liston? Entertainment news. England's group sensation called The Beatles released an album on a minor record label, VJ Records, this week. It's doubted that the group will reach the near-frenzy reaction of the fans back in Great Britain. Patch twisted the dial. An Australian accented song about a kangaroo had him staring at the radio. As he started to change the channel, she held his wrist. No, wait, I like that song, she said. Timey kangaroo downsport? He made a sour face, and she laughed. Come on, Patch, I could dance to this song. Like a kangaroo. Patch clutched the galvanized fence that extended to the left field wall above the clay warning track and then brilliant green grass beyond. The crowd cheered as the Dodgers were about to beat the Pirates. Steamy frankfurters and popcorn made him hungry. Most of the cigar smoke wafted out of the stands. Some of the fans were already exiting the stadium through the tunnels. He had Roselli's location figured out by lining up the folded photo. 
Tomorrow, Rosselli would be between the 15th and 16th rows near the fence aisle. He aimed the binoculars to deep center field. The seats aligned exactly with the gold letters on the black scoreboard and the orange 76 gas sign. A sandy ravine and brown hills bordered Dodger Stadium in the distance. At least Moon is nowhere in sight. Good, you want a hot dog patch? Sure. We can get some food on the way out. The Dodgers have this one in the bag. We don't have Major League Baseball in Spokane. We have the Spokane Indians. Patch looked over the binoculars and raised his brows. Oh, they're part of the Dodgers organization. Triple A baseball. My dad went to their games quite a bit. Maybe we can go to one of their games when we get back. What did your dad do? Dad and Mom were both teachers. They both get a good old pension. She taught the middle grades for 42 years. Dad was a principal. They aren't happy about my situation. She put her finger on his nose. I don't dare ask about your family. You can ask, he said, laughing as if he were coughing. He let the binoculars dangle. You're a government agent just pretending he doesn't know anything. He shook her hand. Allow me to introduce myself. Bond. James Bond. Where's your Bentley, James? I don't remember. She tilted her head back and laughed. Is that right? In for repairs. Gee, that's too bad. I know a garage up in Astoria. Patch glanced down as she nonchalantly put her arm around his back. Wally Moon scored a run in the fifth. Roseboro hit the line drive. I didn't think you were watching. We kept looking around the stands. Her arm remained around his back, but she moved it once she realized it. The crowd cheered as the batter lined out to the second baseman. Winning pitcher, Drysdale, she said. Well, we'll be back here same time, same station tomorrow. Let's get some chow. Patch stared at the scoreboard. Five to one Dodgers. It isn't going to change. He panned the ballpark one more time, beginning at the right field corner. When he reached the Dodgers dugout, he saw Rosselli standing with several well-dressed men. Rosselli, over there. She held his arm and turned. Where? Dodgers dugout, hanging out with the muckamucks. She lifted the binoculars. That's him, all right. I don't know how we're going to get down there, said Patch. She handed the binoculars back to him and focused the zoom on the animated Rosselli. Why wait until tomorrow for Moon to arrive? I'm for that, said Patch. Let's give it a shot right now. Patch plowed around the remaining patrons and pushed his way down the ramp to the base of the stadium. Heading up the ramp that led to the dugout, he pivoted left and then sidetracked into the stadium. The Dodgers' dugout soon came into view, but he did not see Rosselli. The other two men in dark suits and another one in a white shirt still lingered near the dugout. Patch moved ahead of Sherry and darted between the fans toward the painted blue rail that separated the less expensive seats from the boxes. A tall man with a slightly receding hairline removed his sport coat. He had full shoulders, thin arms, and a serious face. Near the dugout was a short little blonde-haired man who argued with the two men hard enough to turn his face crimson. The tall man stomped over to the blonde guy. We don't need this ruckus. The blonde guy looked up and shook his head as he returned to the stands. The big man turned to Patch. Okay, pal, what do you want? I had a meeting with Mr. Rosselli. All right, he nodded and squinted. Johnny's inside the dugout with Koufax and Drysdale. Tell him Patch is back. Sherry moved next to him. I'll let Johnny know you're here. 
He took two steps and then spun around. Patch, right? Patch. Shari hit his arm as the big guy stepped into the dugout. I can tell you, Patch, whoever you are, that you're one persistent son of a gun. Patch was about to speak when Rosselli, smiling, emerged up the dugout steps. He was clad in a silk shirt and an elegant royal blue suit with dark alligator shoes. Koufax, and then the taller Drysdale, shook his hand, and then Rosselli followed them into the dugout. Patch shrugged his shoulders. The tall man stepped over to the rail and opened the gate. I'm Paul Brock, Mr. Kincaid. He had a pressure-packed handshake. Mr. Rosselli would like you to join him on the field. He'll be back momentarily. Patch led Sherry onto the red clay. Kincaid, she said, looking pleased with herself. Patch Kincaid. Anything I can do for you two, you let me know. Thank you. Rosselli, wearing a fitted blue suit, moved up the dugout steps and diagonally toward Patch. He shook Patch's hand. For a brief time, Patch felt smothered in his sweet cologne. I've heard all sorts of wild stories about you coming from the government, boys. They said something happened at the dam, just like what happened in Miami. Patch hesitated before speaking, stunned that he was involved in some kind of intrigue. And there were government people talking about him. I received a note from somebody saying you'd be here today, Mr. Rosselli. They said tomorrow, but I thought I'd try today. Who told you I'd be here? Unsigned note. Well, maybe I won't show up tomorrow then. Patch Kincaid, alive and in the flesh. He held Patch's forearm. My friends and I are alive because of you. Patch had no idea what he was talking about. This is my friend, Sherry Thomas. Mr. Rosselli? Miss Thomas, let me be the first to say that we'll always be grateful to your guy here. Well, he's not my... He motioned to Paul Brock. Paul, bring Patch and his lady up to Mr. Massey's suite. I have to make a call. Patch raised his brows and tried to figure out how he knew Rosselli. Thank you, Mr. Rosselli. You're a good American, Patch. Rosselli patted his upper arm and moved across the dugout. Brock motioned them down the dugout steps. Sherry leaned toward Patch and whispered in his ear, You're a VIP, Patch Kincaid. Complete audiobook of Return to Dallas is available at audible.com.